Thank you, Micah. It's good to be reminded that our God reigns, that Christ is alive, and that we worship him today because of how great he is and his great love. Well, my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. Uh, Our kids can head back to be uh, in Transformation Station this morning. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Psalms. It's right in the middle of the Bible. And if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you there, it's page 469. We'll start in Psalm 42 this morning. I want to also give a a shout out and a thank you to everyone who's volunteering for soccer nights this week. It's going to be a big week. So uh, even if you don't know what that is or you, you know, haven't had an opportunity to volunteer yet, you can still come by. You can still register after church to help out with that. It's going to be an awesome week of loving our city and serving our city. Um, And uh, really thankful for the Sanders family arriving uh, as well as our teams here this week from from Tulsa and and Raleigh. So uh, an exciting week at Redemption Hill. Well, as we get into uh, Psalm 42, I want to uh, share with you a quote that one of my mentors shared with me uh, back uh, in my seminary days when I was training to be a pastor, okay? Um, he, He said this, you can tell a lot about a person by watching their eyes. Let me say that again. You can, you can tell a lot about a person by watching their eyes. So by watching someone's eyes, we can begin to read what their heart goes after, what we desire in life. By watching someone's eyes, we can probably begin to predict whether or not they will pursue the path of wisdom or an unwise path. That's why in this series, we're going to, to Psalm 121. is kind of the, the psalm behind all of these psalms that's going to drive the rest of them, where the psalmist starts out and he says, um, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Before we look around, Before we look back, before we uh, look to others or even look within, we should look up to God. This is true for every moment of life. No matter what the opportunity, no matter what the joy, what what, uh, the victory you may have in life, or what struggle, what disappointment, what discouragement you may face, we are to look up to God and to find that he is the one who will truly satisfy our gaze. This month, the month of July, we're going to go four weeks in, in actually five different psalms. We're going to cover two psalms this morning and then a three the next three weeks. And what we're going to do is we're going to take, this is the longest book of the Bible, okay? There's no way someone judged, like, are we going to start the book and just kind of finish it? Like, well, you know, if we want to chill out for three years in the psalms, we could do that, all right? But the, but the psalms are, are really good to have as a, a part of our spiritual diet. And why is that? Well, uh, let me give you a few reasons, all right? Uh, number one, uh, the Psalms teach us how to worship. These were songs that, that the people of Israel were singing to God in worship. The Psalms can teach us how to pray. They can provide a guide for our prayers. The Psalms, perhaps unlike any other book of the Bible, revealed the character of God in vivid ways, 
The Psalms also, I think this is one of the reasons that people love the Psalms and connect with the Psalms. The Psalms just put out people's hearts right before us. They, they uncover the raw emotions of life, the real questions that we will ask God when we pray, but we won't ask anyone else around us. We find these raw emotions in the book of Psalms. And the Psalms also point us to Christ again and again and again. So, so as we work our way through this four-week series, we're going we're gonna to talk about some topics that I think we face to one degree or another on a regular basis, those around us face on a regular basis. This morning, we're going to talk about discouragement and depression. Next week, we're going to look at struggle and addiction. The third week, we're going to look at fear and anxiety. And then the fourth week, we're actually going to kind of flip it, and we're going to look at when, when, when things are good and when we're fulfilled in life, even in those moments, we need to look up to God. So this morning, I want us to, to think about what it looks like to look up when we are depressed. Psalm 42 and 43 seem to belong together, okay? Uh, you see that they're two separate psalms, but uh, many early Hebrew manuscripts actually had these two psalms together. So I think we should read them together. We should process them together. In fact, when you see the content of the psalms, you're going to see so much similarity and even uh, some of the same refrains are given in each one of the psalms. So we should process them together. And these are what scholars would call psalms of lament. These are psalms of lament. The the, the psalmist is lamenting his situation in life, how difficult his life was in this moment. So again, we're going to see some very raw emotions uncovered for us as we read these psalms. But at the same time, even though the situation seems difficult and dire, these two psalms also provide great hope. And so if you would read along as I read for us Psalm 42 and 43. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then, then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. The one point that I hope you will walk away with is so simple this morning, but it's, it's simply this. When you are discouraged and depressed... Look up to God for everything you need. The simple truth has the power. If, if this is true, and I believe it is, this, this truth, as Jesus would say in John 8, it has the power to set you free, to set those around you who are discouraged and depressed free. I know there are people here this morning, and listen, I was, I was processing. I did more reading for this sermon than I've done for a lot of sermons in, in, in recent memory, and why is that? Because I really, I really want to understand. I really want to help you this morning because I know there are so many people, whether you have been there, you are there, or maybe you will be there, there are so many people who battle discouragement and depression. If that's not you today, then perhaps it's, it's someone that you know, someone that um, is, is around you in your life, a friend, a family member, a, a coworker. And so even as you listen for yourself this morning, I hope you will listen with ears for someone else, which is always how we should listen to God's word, right? It's not just for us. We want to we see it work in the lives of other people. The National Institute of Health tells us that depression affects approximately 19 million Americans or 9.5% of the population in any given one year. Almost 10% of the people in our country are affected by depression. At some point in, our, in, our, in their lives, they say uh, 10 to 25% of women and 5 to 12% of men will likely become clinically depressed. It's why some people have referred to depression as the common cold of mental illness. Surely this is a reality that we want to understand this morning. Surely this is a reality that we want to we seek to, to be able to, to understand so that we can know how to respond to it if we are faced with it or if someone that we love is faced with it. And you say, like, Tanner, man, I'm not prone to depression. I don't think I'm ever going to go there. What, why are you ever discouraged? Anybody ever discouraged? Like every single week there's reason to be discouraged. Like even if it's small, right? We, we all get discouraged in life. There are all the things that they don't go according to plan. And so even, even for moments of discouragement, these truths that we're going to look at in Psalm 42 and 43 hold great weight for us to consider this morning. So what I want to do is this. I want to I uh, look at um, what, what 
causes depression, okay, some, some various causes of depression, uh, what depression looks like, and then some of God's remedies for battling and fighting against depression, okay? Those are the three encouragements that uh, will be given to us this morning. The first one is this, seek to understand the various causes of depression, okay? I want to share a resource with you. One of, the, one of the books that I've relied on a lot this week is called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. It was written by Ed Welch, all right? So a lot of the thoughts that I'm going to share with you today are influenced or, or come from his book. Uh, he, he starts out and he says this. I think this is so important. Depression is a form of suffering that cannot be reduced to one universal cause, all right? So, so a lot of times, you know, as Christians, sometimes, all right, I've been there, all right, we, we think that everything is, is, is moral and spiritual. So if someone is suffering from depression, then they must not be reading their Bible, they must not be praying, they must be skipping out on Sundays, they must just, like, be kind of moving away from God. It must all have to do with their soul before God. But what we're going to see in this psalm is actually... There is nothing about the state of this person's heart that would lead us to believe that he is in any kind of sin. Sometimes then we say, well, well it's, it's, it's all experience and, and, and emotions, and, and so we just want to find the psychological solutions to address the problems. Other people would say, look, it's purely biological and physiological, so what you need to do is just prescribe some medicine, and that medicine is going to solve it just like that. That is the solution. And, but what we, what we see in the Bible, and this is where our theology influences everything, right? We are creatures made in the image of God. We are, to throw out a big word here, some of my doctors would be proud of me right now. Psychosomatic beings, all right? What on earth is that, Tanner, okay? Sukos is the Greek word for soul. Soma is the word for body. So we are, this is good theology, we are embodied souls. My life is not just flesh and blood. God made me with a soul to live forever. And so I have, I have a, a soul before God, and so part of, part of what's happening in my life is always a spiritual response, so we should never reduce uh, depression and say it's just physiological, and so just prescribe some medicine and everything's going to be okay, nor should we disregard some of those physiological and biological elements that plague us. And so I want us to, to make sure that we don't uh, become reductionistic in our view of depression, that this is a holistic uh, response to the different causes and, and factors that uh, weigh in uh, when we battle this kind of thing. Now, now in the Psalms here, what, what do we see? Just in these two Psalms, we see a variety of, of factors that seem to come into play. Okay, the first one is this, and don't miss this, unmet personal desires, unmet personal desires. Proverbs 13, 12, it's the verse you want to underline, write it down, understand what it's saying. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Did you catch that? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is a huge explanation for why we become discouraged in life. One of the primary uh, catalysts for depression and discouragement are unmet expectations in life. So you just kind of fill in the blank. I thought my life would be like this. Sometimes it's, it can be kind of small and, and seasonal. You know, I, I, I thought that, you know, it wouldn't take me to get, uh, take this long to get through school, right? 
maybe a common one in, in Beantown, all right? So it's like, man, I was on the four-year plan, now I'm on the seven-year plan. This is kind of frustrating. We get discouraged by that. Um, uh, another one might be, I, I didn't think it was going to take this long to find an apartment in greater Boston. Man, anyone looking for apartments these days, that's a, that's a hassle for sure, all right? That requires some prayer. Uh, but but then, then it gets more serious than that. I, I thought I'd have a better job by now. I thought I would be married by now. I thought I would have children by now. I thought I surrounded myself with people who love me, but now they're nowhere to be found. I thought I would be healed of my sickness. I thought I would be past these internal struggles that I seem to continue to deal with day after day after day. How has your life not gone according to your plan? What is it in your life this morning that you would say, man, that is so discouraging to me. This this hope that I had has been deferred, and now my heart is sick. There's not one of us who don't have unmet hopes and unmet expectations For the psalmist, it's interesting. In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, it actually, uh, he tells us from the beginning what the primary source of his, his, his unmet expectation is, and it's a spiritual longing. Look at what it says again. It says, as, as the deer, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Okay, so the historical context, what seems to be going on here is you have the psalmist who was a son of Korah. By the way, Korah was a bad dude in the Old Testament. He was marching with Moses on the Exodus, and he led a rebellion of 250 people against Moses' leadership, and God uh, judged him and took him out of the picture quite quickly. Um, So Korah was actually one one of the kind of worst the most evil men in the Bible, and yet the sons of Korah were actually worship leaders in the temple. Now, this is good news because it tells us that, that children do not have to be defined by the sins of their parents, right? I mean, we, we all are individually accountable before God, and so we're, we're not defined by the, by the life of someone else. We may be influenced by their life, but we're not, we're not defined by them. And so the sons of Korah were those who went into the temple and they they led worship. This is what he says in verse 4. I used to lead people into the house of God with shouts of praise. He longed to be in the presence of God, the the magnificence of the temple. It wasn't that that God wasn't present where uh, the sons of Korah were when they were penning this psalm, but God's special presence in the Old Testament dwelled, his glory dwelled in the temple, and that's where the people would come together to worship him. He says, just as a deer cannot survive without water, our souls cannot survive without God. He is the source of our life. He brings satisfaction to our souls. So this is the unmet expectation for him. He's he's thirsty for God. I mean, just think about this week. I don't know if any of you have looked at the forecast yet, but has anyone peeked at the forecast for this week's soccer nights? We're talking talking probably mid-80s, all right? Now, that didn't used to be hot before I've lived in Boston for five years, but now that is hot to me, all right? So I'm saying, we're going to be out there, and we're going to be sweating for Jesus, all right? We're going to break a sweat for, for, that was supposed to be fun. Um, so 
We're going to be out there and just to kind of help you psychologically prepare, all right? When I was a kid, I loved to go to, to summer camp. They were always basketball camp for me, all right? My dad was a, was a high school coach. He always told me to camp. And so when I was a kid, think like seven, eight, nine years old, what the, the camp counselors would do, the coaches, they would basically brainwash us, all right, by saying, I love it when it's hot. And all the campers would say, I hate it when it's not, all right? So, so the coach says, I love it when it's hot. I hate it when it's not. You guys want to try that? Let's not try that this morning. All right, but, 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 but it's going to be pretty hot out there. And so two of the most important roles as soccer nights are going to be our hospitality team who are going to keep the coolers full of water and our boo-boo tent team who is going to be full of medical professionals and volunteers who are going to help kids if they're injured or we will have a number of kids who suffer from asthma right? What is, what is asthma? Asthma is, um, is a condition, let me get this right, medical de- definition, a condition in which your airways narrow and swell, leading to coughing, wheezing, and shortness of breath. If you have asthma, if you've seen one with as- someone with asthma when they're running and they're out of breath, I mean, it can be kind of this scary thought of just like panting and just needing air. And, and one of my favorite African-American preachers, Robert Smith, says this, the psalmist is a spiritual asthmatic. He's panting for God. He's desperate for God. He's thirsty for God. He longs, he wants more of God. This was his unmet expectation. And it's hard to read these verses and not just kind of look within and say, like, man, like, God, am I thirsty for you? God, am I panting for you? Like, do I really want to spend time with you here on Sundays, here uh, as, I'm, as I'm going through my week and, and, and seeking God in, in his word and through prayer and Christian community? So that's number one, unmet expectations. Number two is a removal from community. Depression and isolation are usually closely related. So don't miss, it's not just that that the psalmist wants to be back in Jerusalem in the temple, but he wants to be back with God's people in Jerusalem in the temple worshiping together. Which is why, okay, which is why, I know we live in 2015, I know that you can you know, cop the podcast after, you know, church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I know that you can listen to some good, you know, Hillsong music on your iPod and this and that, okay? But, but let me just suggest this to you. There is no way you can duplicate what happens here when we're together as the church. You, you don't have a brother or sister to, to encourage in your car. I mean, even, even the communication, it's different. It's, I mean, it's, it's not that it's bad, but it's different. I would argue that it's not as good. It's not the same. We should long to be together. I mean, this is what the church has has done throughout generations. This is what the people of God have done ever since God called them to be his people. And so I want you to think about this. Whenever you see someone who is discouraged and depressed in life, there is a good chance that they, whether they realize it or not, whether it's been their choice or not, they have been removed from community. Maybe you faced that. Maybe you, you had a friend who you were close to and they, they've moved away. They've gone to another part of, of the country and you've, you've become a little more isolated. And it takes time. It's hard work to build friendships. This, this can be a, a symptom or a cause of, 
of, of, of depression. Number three, external circumstances and people. This one also dominates the psalm. Look in verse three. My tears have been my food while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Maybe, we can't know conclusively, but maybe the, the, these, the, this, the psalmist was, was exiled out of Jerusalem and now his, his enemies are taunting him saying, you know, where is your God? If your God is powerful, can he like deliver you from my hands? If, you're, if your God is there, doesn't he care about you? You're talking about panting for God and they're like, well, where is your God? In verses um, 9 and, and 10 of 42, uh, he goes on. He says, why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. These were, as verse 1 of 43 says, they were deceitful, unjust, ungodly people. So we, we can see that, that it's oftentimes through these external circumstances and also other people who are sinful people, who are ungodly people, or at times who also love Christ, but they've offended us in some way, that if we don't deal with that, if we don't work through that, then other people or external circumstances can become a source of depression in our lives. Now, this is just what we see from Psalm 42 and 43, and I think we could go even more to that. I mean, they were, he, the sons of Korah, they were worship leaders, and so for them to say, man, I'm removed from, from, from my, my calling, my work. I mean, if you don't work because we're made to work, you're probably going to get discouraged over time. That's, that's part of who we are. I mean, so, so God has given us tasks and assignments. Um, to that, we could add our bodies, whether we're sick or there are chemical imbalances, postpartum blues, side effects from medication. Our bodies play a part. It can play a part in our depression. What about our own sinful choices? They can certainly bring us into a depressive state, as well as spiritual warfare. We looked at this a few weeks ago at the end of Ephesians, and we saw that Satan loves to kick us when we're down. He loves to, to, to pile it on when we are weak and vulnerable. So if you're, if you're discouraged right now, Don't expect things to get easier necessarily. That's why we need to cry out to God for some remedies. So we're going to get to the remedies, but before we do that, I want to look at what depression looks like. Okay, so number two, seek to understand what depression looks like. Just as there is not one cause of depression, typically speaking, so also um, there can be more than one form of depression. Ed Welch says, it's wise to think in terms of various depressions rather than depression. You got that? It's plural. Think of depression not so much as I have it or don't have it, but as a continuum of severity. So on one end, it is bothersome, maybe situational depression. And at the other end, you have debilitating, probably clinical depression. This difference can be the difference between discontentment and hopelessness. Some of the symptoms that the National Institute of Health include are these, sadness, fatigue, insomnia, changes of appetite, difficulty in making decisions, excessive crying, hopelessness, and even suicidal thoughts. What does it look like here in the Psalms? Let me give you just a few. We saw in verse 3 that, that his tears have become his food. He feels helpless, hopeless. 
the refrain in verse uh, 42.5, 42.11, and 43.5 say that he is downcast and his soul is in turmoil. In 42.9, it says that he feels like as though God has forgotten about him. In 43.2, it says that he feels as though God has rejected him. He is overwhelmed with sorrow and despair. In verse 7 of chapter 42, he says that deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's it's as if we have this picture that, that one thing after another keeps piling on to his life, one negative experience after another, and he feels as though he is drowning in despair. Have you ever been there? Others have written about depression, have described it this way. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul. Robert Burton, a writer in the 1600s, says, said, if there is hell upon earth, it is to be found in a melancholy heart. Another called it malignant sadness. It can almost be impossible for a severely depressed person to filter any experience outside of the lens of their own misery. Depression is painful, and it most certainly is a form of suffering. And so what I hope you will hear this morning, if you were discouraged, if you were depressed to one degree or another, on whatever the level of the continuum, I hope that you will hear that you are not alone. What Satan likes to do is to deceive us and tell us that we are the only one who is experiencing what we're experiencing, which then causes us shame if we were to share it that other people would know what's going on with us when God is saying, look, you're not the only one who's going through this. In fact, there are many people who have gone through it. Just look at the Bible, okay? You have people like Jeremiah, who uh, suffered from uh, depression. You have King David. I mean, Israel's greatest king, one of the heroes of the Bible. He is penning all of these psalms, and he is talking about how discouraged and in despair and oppressed he feels. Even Jesus is called a man of sorrows. What What does that mean? I mean, Jesus, of all people, being the perfect son of God, could, could ex- he experienced the fallenness of our world in a way that no one else could ever experience. He knew how, how broken we are. He knew how broken our world is. And so he, he, he often wept over the state of people's souls. He would sit out on the hill outside of Jerusalem and weep over the city because people would not return to God. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when when Jesus was praying to his father, we see just this, this heavy weight that he was experiencing there in the garden. So Jesus is a is a God who can identify with our discouragement and our suffering. We see people in the history of the church. One of my favorite preachers uh, from the 19th century, his name is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he said this. Um, I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. I could weep by the hour, and not, I could cry for, for hours and not even know why I was crying. I mean, this is Charles Spurgeon. Some people say the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is, this is a, like a giant in the history of the church, and he battled depression in all of his adult life. Surely you know a friend or a family member who also battles depression. And so uh, I hope that, that you will, you will, you will as, even as we think about what it looks like in this dark, 
almost in, at times morbid picture, we'll, we'll know that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is over all things in our lives. That's why even he says in verse 7, don't miss that, your breakers and your ways have, have gone over me. So, so God is in control even when all of this is happening in our lives. And he has the final word, which brings us then to the third point and encouragement this morning, apply God's remedies for depression by looking to him. I want to give you just four strategies, all right? These aren't comprehensive again, but they're four strategies that I feel like can help us, and they come uh, straight from the word, okay? So number one, let's do this. Let's admit that we are weak. Part of moving forward is just being uh, transparent enough and vulnerable enough and real enough to say, you know what, man, I'm struggling here. I have some unmet expectations in my life that have gotten me a little down. I could use some prayer. I could use some encouragement. Listen, this is, this is so counterintuitive to us because of our fallen nature to, to ask for help. Why? Because we're proud. But then you, you put fallen people in the United States where, I mean, it's like we celebrated the 4th of July yesterday, right? I mean, it was awesome, and there are so many wonderful things about our country, all right? But, but part of what it means, I think, to be a, an American is to have this kind of uh, mentality that we're self-made people, that we, we can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and make that we're strong. We're Americans, we don't like to portray any weakness or vulnerability. And yet that often is the first step just to, to, to moving forward as we battle discouragement. We need to, to, to be weak enough to ask the why questions of life. Why is this happening, God? Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me, God? Why have you rejected me, God? Why have you forgotten about me, God? God is big enough to handle our questions. And he is strong enough to supply really good answers. So we need to first admit that we are weak. Number two, we need to preach to ourselves. Now, I know you think that I'm like the only preacher in the room today, all right? Like, I've got the microphone. What do you know? Bible's open up here. That's how we do it at Redemption Hall, okay? But, but listen, listen. We all are always interpreting the experiences in our lives. We are always running uh, the grid of our experiences through our mind and telling ourselves stories, thinking thoughts, expressing desires that may or may not line up with God's will for our lives, all right? We think thoughts like, I'll I'll never be good enough. This will never change. I deserve that. What were they thinking? And we, we tell ourselves these narratives of what's going on and we listen to ourselves more than we speak to ourselves. We talk to ourselves. We preach to ourselves. And so what does the psalmist do, okay? There's one verse that is repeated three different times. We, can, we call that in musical terms, okay? I'm no musician, but we call that in musical terms a refrain. It's coming up again and again and again. Isn't that right, Micah? Is that my mom point there? Seth, we good? All right, so, so it's coming up again and again. And what does he say? 42, 5, 11, and then 43, 5. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? He's talking to, my, to himself, why are you in turmoil within me? 
And then he's speaking to him. So you see this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So, so, so perhaps if you are discouraged today, the one thing that you can do is just remind yourself, tell yourself, preach to yourself, say, hope in God, which is going to help you look up and see what, what, who he is and, 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 and how he, much he cares for you. Hope waits on God to act. Hope says you are my God in anticipation of the fulfillment of his promises, even when it seems like help is far off. Hope believes that God is moving even when we can't see him in our current circumstances. And hope, I love this, hope moves from the why to the who, right? God made us for himself. He is enough for us. And yet when we're depressed because of all the circumstances in our life, our eyes are fixed on everything around us and usually not God. I mean, we're, we're so focused on what's happening externally and we're so focused on ourselves oftentimes when we are depressed. However intentional or unintentional that may be. That's why one of my favorite quotes from church history, Robert Murray McShane, he says this, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. That's a really wise statement, whether you're discouraged or encouraged, right? Just keep looking to Christ. Keep looking to who he is. Keep looking to the gospel and all that God has done for us in him. So as we move from the why to the who, who is the who? Who is this God, all right? So as we preach to ourselves, I want to say this. Number one, we should remind ourselves of God's character. In Psalm 42 and 43, he says this. uh, God is the living God. He is my salvation. He is my God. He is the Lord, the God of my life. He is God, my rock. And we sang that awesome song earlier, The Rock Won't Move. It's impossible for God to move. He is is faithful. He is steadfast. He is consistent. As surely as the rising of the sun, that's how faithful God will be to his people. I mean, did the sun rise this morning? Absolutely. The rock won't move. Uh, Look at this picture from uh, North Conway, New Hampshire. Uh, This is Cathedral Ledge, all right? Now, our family just went up for a couple of days. We actually went to Storyland, all right? I wish I could say that I spent like five hours here instead of like five minutes, all right? But I was too busy riding the polar coaster and stuff. Um, but, but we went up to North Conway, took our, our, our six and four-year-old up, up there to have a great time. But we also got to hike up this trail and see Cathedral Ledge. And so as we're, as we're there I'm actually pointing to, to, to this rock and other rocks, and I'm asking Parker, and Kes like, Parker, can you move that rock? Kes said, can you move that rock? Do you think Daddy can move that rock? Listen, that rock is not moving. God is our rock. More firm than this, God is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our exceeding joy, 43, verse 4. Remind ourselves of his character. Remind ourselves of God's care. He is the God who is present, 42, 2. He is the God who gives steadfast love and songs, verse 42, 8. He is the one who vindicates and defends, 43, 1. He is the one who sends his light and truth and leads us, verse 3. And he is the one who is worthy of praise, 43, 4. Remind ourselves of God's character. Remind ourselves of God's care. 
And I love this. I love this psalm. It is like the Bible is so deep and so rich and so true. All right, look what's going on here. This is, a, this, is a, this is a man who is discouraged and depressed, and this whole prayer is a prayer of faith. You remember um, verse 7 that, that says, deep calls to deep, like I'm drowning in my despair. And then what does verse 8 say? It says, by the day the, the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I mean, he is, he is clinging to God in faith. Look at, look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock... Why, why have you forgotten me? I mean, doesn't this seem so contradictory, right? Like, I mean, how can he say God's his rock, but he's forgotten him? It's like he's clinging in faith. He's holding on to what he knows is true of God in faith, even when he doesn't feel like it. C.S. Lewis says that this is one of the most powerful statements that the Christian can make. Okay? Faith, okay, we hear Jesus like, if you have the faith of a mushroom, you can move mountains. Like, what does that mean? All right, listen, faith is turning to God. Faith is turning and looking to God. Maybe you don't even have the words to say, but you're just looking to God and just turning your heart toward him. That's faith. This prayer is, is a prayer of faith. And, and when we do this, listen to this. C.S. Lewis makes this point in the screw tape letters. He says, um, he, he says this, writing of, of uh, Uncle Screwtape is writing to his, his little nephew protege, okay, Wormwood, and he's kind of training him on demonology, all right, and how to be a good demon. And he, and he writes this point to him, and he says, look, um, our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, speaking of God, okay, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. You got that? When we do not see any trace of God, when we don't understand what's going on around us and everything is falling apart and we're drowning in our despair and we feel like we've been forgotten by God and those around us, but we still keep pressing on in prayer, uh, taking the next step, that is a powerful witness to how awesome our God is. So maybe uh, the next step of faith is, is then number three, okay? Just doing the next thing to the glory of God. This is what Elizabeth Elliot, she was a, a, a wonderful woman of faith. Uh, her and her husband were missionaries to Ecuador, all right? And, and one of her famous little quotes was this, do the next thing to the glory of God. We're just going to do the next thing. Whatever God puts in our path, whatever good deed it is, whatever work of faith, we're going to do it to the glory of God. And so even though these aren't in this, this passage, let me just give you a few other encouragements for what this might look like to, to fight and battle depression, okay? Um, maybe you need to add greater structure to your life. When you're depressed, we, we talked about some of the symptoms. Man, your appetite is, is all out of whack. Your sleeping patterns are all out of whack. And so maybe you just need to add some structure. Maybe you need to get some, some people to help you with that, which is actually the next encouragement, to, to live in community, to get into some community and share what's happening with others so that they can encourage you. To say, you know what, here's, here's my game plan. I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. I'm going to have breakfast. I'm going to go exercise at, 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 you know, whatever time. And, and, and I'm going to do this one thing even if it's just the most difficult thing for me to do, I'm just going to do this one thing. I'm going I'm to go and, and help, you know, 
take my neighbor's trash out or something, just whatever, whatever that might be, just to add some structure and to some rhythm to your life. And, and, and that actually leads to, to another encouragement, service. Another great strategy is service. Why is that? Because when we are depressed and discouraged, we're constantly looking inward, but when we serve someone else, we're naturally looking outward. Now, check this out. This is so good. We've been talking about this at Redemption Health for so long now. Um, at least the past few months, we've been like, boom, boom, boom. The, the, the character of God. God is, do you remember this from a few weeks ago? An ecstatic God. It means that he delights to have. He's triune, Father, Son, Spirit. Okay, this is some, some deep theology. I'm going to bring it back home, all right? So Father, Son, Spirit, this is who God is. God has eternally existed in relationship, not just in relationship, but loving relationship, Right? So in the very beginning, independent of creation, God has been pouring out. He delights to pour out his love. It's the most natural thing for God to give of himself away. Do you you see that? So if, if that's who God is and we are to bear his image and be imitators of him, we are our most natural selves when we are recreated in Christ, when we are serving and giving ourselves away. You following me? So I know of a friend who has at different times in his life battled depression. This is a man, older gentleman, who's, who's battled depression and, 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 and started to make observations of his, of his life. And, and, and he seemed like he was doing a lot better. And what I discovered was his, his wife had a broken bone and was, was debilitated for a couple of months. So he was actually doing all the cooking, going to the grocery store, helping her out. Doing, and he was just serving and giving himself away. And all of a sudden, he, he, he was feeling better about life. He was, he, was, he was seeing things more clearly. And so we need to preach to ourselves and, and do the next thing to the glory of God. And then, and then finally, we'll end with this. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Crying out to God. Asking God for help. I love verse 3 of chapter 43. He says this. Send out your light. Give us understanding and life. Send out your truth, the word of guidance. And let your light and your truth lead us. Let them bring us back to the place of worship so that we can enjoy God, our exceeding joy. So when we come to God and we give ourselves to him and when we cry out and long to be back in that place of praise, step by step, even if it's one million baby steps after the other, God can restore us to that joy that we long for. So what I want to do this morning, I want want the, the conclusion of this message to be all of us taking a couple of moments to pray. I want you to think about what is discouraging you in your life. How is your life not going according to plan? Could you just lift that up before God today and ask God to to work in your life and to give you strength and courage to take the next step and to do the next thing to his glory? Perhaps you want to spend a couple of moments just praying for someone that you know, a friend, a family member, uh, someone that, that, that you know needs some support right now. Maybe you would even reach out to them after, after this service today.
we're going to pray, and then Micah and Mel are going to come up and lead us in a song of praise, which is actually a confession. It's a prayer asking God to help us, even as we praise him in the midst of crying out for his help. Let's, let's turn to God in prayer this morning. Father, help us to see that there is not one of us who is not prone to discouragement or who does not have the potential to be depressed. God, help us to be concerned, not only for our own lives, but for those around us, God, for for those whose hearts are in turmoil whose souls are downcast, who don't see a reason to move forward in life or who can't seem to get over the hump, whatever that hump may be, God, would you infuse us today with hope, to hope in you, that you are our God, you are our salvation, you are our rock, you are our refuge. God, that you give strength to take the next step, to do the next thing, to reach out to the next friend, to get into that next act of service, to see us slowly rise up out of the pit that we may find ourselves in. God, we pray for freedom today. We pray that your truth would set us free, whether that's uh, just miraculous by your spirit that you that you set people free from the depression that they face today or, or whether that uh, happens over weeks and months, God, we ask that, that we would live, live in such community here at Redemption Hill, that we could be weak. We would feel the freedom to be weak, to be vulnerable, to share our burdens so that we can bear those burdens together. God, you alone are perfect. We're not. God, may the words of this song be the expression of our hearts today, truly. Help us to respond to you in Christ's name.